Hey guys, uh, we're studying the great book of Romans, but guess what? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Oh, I know, this is getting to be almost a joke, but next week we're in Romans. I hesitate to even say it, but we got to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Hey, it's been a unique week, hasn't it? We want to talk about the hope in the battle, and I'm going to give a little subtitle, Prophecy, America, and the Church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to begin here in verse 1. You know, I've been spending some time with my dad, and I want to thank you so much for your prayers for my dad. I love him so much. He's 92 years of age, best man at my wedding, my precious mother. She's 88. I love him so much. It's just such an honor to be with him. He's had some... He has some physical issues and things, and we'll see them uh, Tuesday and Wednesday and be back for the Wednesday night. But thank you so much for your prayers. And I got all these questions for my dad. I actually am going to sit down and not interview him, but just ask him a bunch of questions. I always am asking him questions. But one of the questions I asked him was, Dad, what is your earliest memory? You know, do we, we all have earliest memories, right? So he started, he started to share it. Then he asked me, what is your earliest memory? And so... For me, I'm not quite sure what my earliest memory. I think my earliest memory had to do with a warning. I just remember being in a room. I know my mom was there. It's like the video is really grainy, right? It's like, oh, mom's there. Some other woman's there. This is not our home. And then there's a fan. There's a fan. I'm attracted to the fan. I'm attracted to the fan. And I think they're warning me, don't stick your finger in the fan, right? I mean, this is the day before plastic, right? So this is, a, I'm assuming, I mean, a lot of assumptions here. And I'm assuming that it's a, I don't know, metal or something. You know, it's a don't stick. And, and guess what I did? Guess what I did? I stuck my finger in the fan. I think that is my earliest more, uh, memory. A, a warning says there is danger, right? That's what a warning says. And if you heed it, it can save you from a lot of harm. Thank God for warnings, especially when heeded. And, and, you know, sometimes the warning can be like a little over the top, like a label on a baby stroller warns, remove child before folding. I mean, that's like, right? It's like someone probably tried to fold the baby stroller before the baby was taken out. So it's like remove child before folding. A warning on a flushable Toilet brush states do not use for personal hygiene, right? Maybe it's a courtesy warning there. I mean, you can go on and on. You remember, remember the Titanic, on a much more serious note, the Titanic received many warnings that they were headed towards icebergs. A ship nearby, the California, actually radioed the Titanic and said, old man, I'm surrounded by ice. So in other words, you're moving you know, in dangerous waters, the Titanic answered, shut up, shut up, we're busy. Ran right into an iceberg, right? And still the response was not adequate. People were actually taking ice from the iceberg and putting it in their drinks, right? As they think everything is okay. Lifeboats ended up being half full. Why am I mentioning all of this? Because when there's warning signs that are not heated, uh, it can be so, like, demoralizing. It's, like, kind of scary. It's like there's a warning. It's like, you know, hey, you're headed towards an iceberg, and it's like you ought to change course. You ought to slow down and stuff. And it's like they just keep moving forward here. It's like, oh, my goodness, Christians, you don't want to see that. And I mention these things because one of the reasons I think so many of us are a bit, 
you know, saddened and kind of heavy-hearted from this last week is because in our country, man, there's radical warning signs. It's like if you go to the doctor, where, where are they asking, well, how are you feeling, what's going on? So basically, what you're answering is you're giving them symptoms. It's the doctor to tell what the core problem is. You're just giving symptoms, well, I got a headache, I mean, I, or my right arm, it's just not as strong, whatever. But in our country, here's the symptoms. You have abortion on demand, weed on demand, border crossings on demand, mutilation of children's bodies on demand. Something's wrong. Like something's wrong. So you would hope that our fellow Americans, I'm just trying to get in the psyche a little bit of the, I think of our church family. It's, our fellow Americans are like, oh my goodness, like, hey, we're headed towards an iceberg, right? So you would think and you would hope that our fellow Americans would make right choices. And we've talked about this many times, but freedom is a threefold component. Oz Guinness wrote about this. Our dear friend Eric Metaxas popularize this. Freedom requires virtue. We've, we mentioned this a lot. Virtue requires faith, and faith requires freedom, right? In short, virtue is morality, and morality are boundaries that are purposed to protect and bless our life. If you throw off boundaries, you have breakdown, and you lose personal freedom to addiction. And a culture that increasingly throws off boundaries will also become enslaved by laws that will inevitably infringe on personal freedom. Freedom of worship, freedom of ideas replaced by a political structure of a few controlling the many. So you can better understand why Benjamin Franklin said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. So when we see like our country, I'm just getting a little bit of psyche, it's like, my goodness gracious, serious symptoms, come on, our you know, fellow Americans, let's wake up, let's make right decisions that protect and bless us and things. It's like, well, a weakened America ends up impacting the world. Like you don't want a weakened America. That's another reason for the sorrow. And, Amer- and other nations, many of them actually don't want the freedom that America is proposing. Some, some nations would look at and have looked at our country and they say, hey, look, America is like Satan because we've taken freedom way too far. It's like some nations don't want Prop 1 passed in their country. They just don't want this type of freedom. A weakened America fuels globalism, which undermines ultimately freedom. And as one person said, no one is coming to save America. I'm just, I'm mentioning these things because it's like, you know, you got a little bit of heaviness, I know, for many this week. No one's coming to save America. I mean, there was the allies in World War II in France that saved Europe, but that was primarily led by America, okay? So perhaps the temptation is when you see kind of like, man, are we headed towards icebergs? It's to think, well, we're in a nosedive, not much we can do, so we're just going to check out. But that would be, of course, a temptation we don't want to succumb to. There's some things we can't control, like we can't control what happens in the White House, let's just say, just in principle, that's what I'm referring. But we can control what happens in our house. Can I hear an amen to that? Yeah, and we can't control what happens in the church and the ecclesia and our marriages and our mind and our community. And I mention these things because in principle, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 
It says that prior to the second coming of Jesus, which is going to happen and everything is moving towards that, there's going to be an out-of-touch reality. There's going to be people who will be out of touch with reality. There's impending accountability and judgment that's coming. If there's no judgment, there's no justice. Yet, what 1 Thessalonians tells us is believers, and that's us, well, we have a lot of things we can control. I can't control what my neighbor decides us to say. I can't control what certain leaders decide. But there's a lot we do have in control. We are to be watchful. We're to be proactive. We're in a battle. He talks about we're going to put on a breastplate of uh, love and of righteousness and of faith and, and we're to put our helmet on. Okay, and there's a lot we can control and there's a lot of difference we can and we will and I believe we are actually making. So here's the big idea, First Thessalonians chapter 8. Big idea is you have Paul noting Jesus is coming identifying how those who are not in Christ are like oblivious to the fact that they're on the a Titanic. Although we want to do something about that. We want to make Jesus known. Can I hear a big amen to that? For believers, we realize this day, the day of the Lord does not take believers by surprise. And in the meantime, the big emphasis is to be proactive in our faith. And that's what we want to do. So let's just check this out, verse 1, chapter 5. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, which uh, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now look at verse 4. Now there's a big contrast here. Now here's believers. But you, brethren, are not in, what's the next word? Darkness. Oh, so that this day, capital D there, should overtake you as a thief. So for believers, it's like, oh, we know the Lord's coming. And, but, but culture, unfortunately, so many unbelievers, they, they don't realize the danger, right? We want to be a part of the solution so he says there for, in verse 6, or verse 7, or verse 5, excuse me. I'll, I'll just throw out a bunch of words. I'm speaking in tongues right now, so sorry. Can you interpret that? Verse 5, he said, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. Amen to that. Verse 6, therefore, let us not sleep. Like, don't check out. Don't check out, as others do. But let us, let's all say it, let us watch. Be sober, which means to think clearly, hey, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, you know, intoxicated, lose perspective, drunk at night. Hey, but, but let us, who are of the day, think clearly, be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Look at verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? And, and I guarantee it. Watch it like verse 10. Who died for us. Whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. And therefore, comfort one another. Edify one another. Just as you also are doing. Well, I pray that this morning 
is just that. It's a, it's a comfort and it's an edification for all of us in unique times in which we live. Now notice, notice verse 2, the day of the Lord. It says, when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction for the day of the Lord. What is that in reference to? This is in reference to the second coming of Jesus when he sets his feet on planet earth. Yes, there's a rapture. There's first a resurrection of the righteous in preparation for the return and reign of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus returns, we are with him. He brings justice to planet earth. And when he does, he establishes his kingdom. And this idea of the day of the Lord is no small matter. You know, we're talking prophecy, of course. There are 216 chapters in the New Testament. There are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus. So if we were to move such references, we'd remove like one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament. We'd also have to skip 23 out of 27 New Testament books that mention prophecy. I mention these things um, because I'm trying to impress you. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mention these things because like the Lord Jesus spoke of his coming and, he's, and he wants us to be awake and we should be fully awake and there's hope and he is coming. And of course, it gives us perspective to how we are to live in the here and now. And the second coming, and this is very important, is also called the day of wrath or the day of visitation or the great day of God the Almighty. Now, I don't know when you think of when you think of wrath, but, but it's not that God is red-faced and reactive, that he's just like, oh, he's just so ticked off and he's responding. Actually, wrath needs to be broken down in three components. One is wrath is the consequences of being outside of the will of God. It's not course correcting. So, so it's like if you drink poison, there's consequences. You're gonna, there's wrath, okay? So it's just, it's just breakdown from like being outside the will of God. Then wrath is actually this snowball. It snowballs and it gets really bad in, throughout the world during the last seven years prior to the second coming of Jesus. So the tribulation period, which is the last seven years prior to when Jesus returns, is known as the day or time of wrath. And then you have the day of wrath when it's snowballed out of control, Jesus returns. Unless those days were short, no flesh would survive. And I think we have a scripture on the screen here. It says this, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. So it's, I don't know, it's like, maybe it's just like you're eating potato chips every day. There's consequences if you do that. And it's like, if you ate potato chips every single day for a month, and then you got on the scales, it, it wouldn't be a good picture, right? So I, I'm just saying, like, what wrath is, is, is this cumulative consequence of being outside of the will of God. It gets worse, it gets worse, it gets worse. Culture is impacted, the world is impacted, and Jesus returns, day of wrath, second coming. Now watch this, listen. We are not recipients of this day. So I say, no, wait, in Christ, like look at verse nine. God did not appoint us to wrath, right? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But we are spectators. We are spectators admiring the Lord Jesus. He is king. Who wouldn't want to follow a king who gives his life for all of humanity, by the way? And what a beautiful king Jesus is. Can I hear a big amen to that? So, so like, we're not appointed to wrath, okay? Jesus is coming. He's bringing judgment. We're not appointed to the judgment. Our sins have been forgiven. We're secure in Christ. But we are spectators. It's like, what? Well, I'll just put the scripture on the screen. It tells us 2 Thessalonians 1.7, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Lord Jesus, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the power, the glory of his power, when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe. That's us, because our testimony among you was believed. Okay, well, okay, wrath, we're not going to experience it, but we're going to admire. Oh, my goodness, our Lord is coming, and he's the king, and he's always been the king, and we get to admire uh, him as he as he judges evil, as he brings justice to planet earth, as he establishes his kingdom, and we're just like, man, go Jesus. Can I hear it? You know, it's like, yes. Yeah, he's the king, and he's always been the king. So we have three points here. And guess what? I'm just going to like identify three. They're in your notes too. Point number one is, hey, unbelievers, unfortunately, out of touch with reality and impending judgment. That's important perspective. But of course, we want to be a part of the solution of that. The Lord has us here on planet earth to put on love. And one way we love is we soul win. We make Jesus known. Let's be courageous in doing that. Can I hear an amen to that? Is that we're going to unpack this in a little bit. Number two, point number two, the day of the Lord refers to the coming of Jesus and judgment. And point number three is believers are to watch, think clearly, be proactive in faith and love and in their security in Christ. And it's point number three I'm going to really unpack at this time. So look at verse six, you guys. When it says, therefore, let us not sleep, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Obviously, some metaphors here. Um, you remember the time, I don't know, preschool or kindergarten, when the teacher wanted us to take a nap? Do you remember that time? Was that not torture or what? That was torture. It was torture to check out like that. You didn't want to check out. Now listen, when my precious wife says, honey, why don't you take a nap? I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. Love it. Want to check out, right? But we're not to check out. Like the Lord has us here for such a time as this, right? We need to remember this. The Lord's Spirit is always at work in and through His people. His work is always going on. You say, what do you mean? Um, he's in us. He is always working through us. Okay, and our labor in Christ is not in vain. So it's like, oh my goodness, it's like I feel like I'm a Titanic or Mary, I get discouraged and all this stuff. It's like, hey, don't check out and don't go to sleep. Well, you can't do that. This means that at times our efforts will produce measurable results and at times they're not at least before men, and often not even till the next generation. It means, what, what am I trying to get at? Well, we have a scripture on the screen here. My beloved brethren, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding. Abound in the work of the Lord. Don't decrease. Abound. Knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's like, think about Jeremiah. Just to illustrate this point, Jeremiah was a faithful prophet to his generation. Okay, he told him the truth. Okay, do you, do you, do you know like what the results was of his ministry? Not one person responded. Not one. You say, oh, it doesn't sound, well, it doesn't sound successful. Well, what is success? I mean, what, what, I mean, we do what is right because it is right. Success is like, oh, well, that's often measured or the numbers, how much money and stuff. But God's like economy is totally different. And one of the reasons is because we're all playing the long game. It's not, or, or let me just put it this way. Hey, uh, and not to be overly political, I'm just making a point. Can, can you lose an election but win? Oh, I think, oh, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. You can lose an election. You can let your, whoever's leading, you, if you, you know, you didn't vote for him, you voted for someone else, and they're not in the, in the place where you want them to be, but can we still win? Hey, listen, we're always winning when we body the faith, always winning when you're loving, always winning when you're making Jesus Christ known. It's not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. The Lord always sees faithfulness, rewards faithfulness. Are you guys with me on this? So getting back to Jeremiah, not one convert in his generation. But listen, his writings inspired the next generation. It inspired Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah. And if it wasn't for Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, who were inspired by Jeremiah's writing, Jerusalem would never have been rebuilt. So my point is, is like, hey, we are playing the long game. We do what is right because it is right and trust God with the consequences. And by the way, we don't understand our lives, and I've said this billions of times, till all the chips are in. We're not going to understand it. It's like that kind of gets to the idea, and this is big ideas if you're here for the first time, but just, hey, ultimately there is a judgment or there is an accounting before God. The point being is that, hey, that smile, you know, that generous gift, the time you spent with that person, you prayed for them. I mean, do we fully understand the consequences of those actions? I mean, I'm just kind of making up as I go. You were gracious to that person, helped relieve the burden that then impacted the way they treated their kid. That ended, I mean, it's like we, we don't see the big picture. It's impossible. Only God does. That's why he says, be faithful. I mean, you just got to keep doing what you're doing. And it's not in vain. And in context here, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to suit up because we're in a battle. Perspective, Jesus won the war, which means when he's on the cross, he conquered sin, he conquered the devil, but we're engaged in a battle Little battles here and there prior to the return of the Lord. So he says here in verse 8, But let us who are of the day be sober, think clearly, putting on the breastplate of, can someone tell me? Faith, okay? And love. That's right, good job. And love. No, it's both. It's interesting because Paul in Ephesians identified the breastplate. I don't want to get in the weeds here. 
as righteousness. Oh, that's good. No, it's good. Good job. Good job, you guys. Boy, you're a smart group. Good job. <laughs> Love it. No, 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 this is okay. Listen, the idea is that, hey, you're in a battle. I mean, this is a reference to Roman armament. You've got to protect your vital organs. You've got to protect your heart. You know, the seat of your intellect, the idea being the seat of your intellect and your emotions. You want that protected. He's saying here, okay, put the breastplate. You're in a battle. It's like, you know, you've got to protect your heart. I mean, maybe the modern equivalent would be a bulletproof vest. You've got to have on. Paul says, put like around the seat of your intellect and emotions, faith. Faith is being informed by truth. Faith is being transformed by truth. In Ephesians 6.14, he identified the breastplate as righteousness. So I'm going to actually work on both. I'll get faith and righteousness. Look, the enemy of our soul, and I don't believe he's behind every bush, but there is an enemy, and there is a Satan, and there are demons, there's no doubt about it. And Satan is identified as the accuser of the brethren. Now, I, I hope to God none of us have come, quote, face-to-face -face with Satan himself, okay? But um, you don't have to, like, be doing battle, like, with Satan in the room, or so to speak, um, to not have some form of spiritual battles in your life, because as it's been said, a lie travels the world seven times before truth ever gets its shoes on. Point is, is that we live in a world that has been highly influenced by darkness. He is an accuser, so he wants to demoralize us. So it's like any idea, just watch this, like, hey, you're not worthy. You are weak. Why even try? Why get back up? Hey, you're going down. It's like a stinking hypocrite. You knew better, and yet you sin. So why even go to church? You know, why read the Bible? Why, why uh, even keep moving forward? Uh, you need to put the breastplate of righteousness on. Yes, I was like, I don't. Hey, listen, Greg Denham doesn't deserve anything. I mean, righteousness actually in position before God is a gift that Jesus purchased for me. It's like it has nothing to do with what I do, but what he has done, right? So it's like, hey. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And the hero of our, our lives is, is not us. I mean, we're not the hero in this narrative. It's Jesus Christ. He's our hero. So it's like if you're hearing such ideas or voices that are seeking to demoralize you, remember your identity put on the breastplate of righteousness, which Jesus gave us on the cross, exchanging his righteousness, giving us his righteousness in exchange for our filthy rags. And when I do that, that's what faith is. Faith is being informed by what is true, right? So it's like if you're being like experiencing these accusations and how unworthy you are and just be able to give up, oh my goodness, let's pr protect your heart. I mean, it's like we're in Jesus Christ and he is our hero. Can I hear a big amen to that? Now watch this, put on love. Put on love. It's like, what is love? You know, Jesus said lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Prior to his second coming, it's like there's a septicness when it comes to love. I mean, lawlessness, I mean, that, it's like, you know, going outside of original design, 
that idea of wrath building. It's like lawlessness will abound. Love will wax cold. So it's like if there's anyone on planet earth that could define what love is, it should be Christians actually. It should be believed that we have an accurate view of what love is. The greatest commandment has to do with love. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's it. That's the great command. Jesus said, this is how you'll know my disciples, by the love they have for one another. Okay? We live in an age of technique. Age of technique. What's, what's the equation for the success? What's the technique? We don't live in a, in a generation, not totally trying to flush it here, but I'm just saying we don't live in a generation of character. Character matters. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit there's a metaphor there. The fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of right relationship with God is not technique, it's not talent, it's love. So a genuine expression of my love is love, adoration of God, and the fruit of love in my life towards, towards who? Well, towards every single human being, and God is love. So the question becomes like, what does love actually look like? We talked a little bit about this last week. But you guys, let's break down John 3.16. Because I, it's, it's been known or called a little Bible in 25 words. Like, let, let's say it all together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I could tell there was a, some different... Uh, like, what do you, what's the word I'm looking for? Translation, sorry, that's right. Just a little bit. Of, that's okay. No, we got it. You get it. so good. But, but I would say that at least if we just break this down, I mean, I'm thinking this is happening in Jerusalem. Jesus is speaking not to just a rabbi, respect. he's speaking to the chief rabbi, kind of the Billy Graham of Jerusalem. And this is what he lays on, hey, you know, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Son, the king, the king, the Davidic king, the son. Okay, so, so, so Nicodemus is like, here's the thing. You got to step into this. God called Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be a light to the nations. This is, this is in essence now. This is, this is it. For God so loved the world. He just loves Israel. Yeah, he set Israel aside and sanctified Israel. The Mosaic law stuff. But here it is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So now, Nicodemus, what needs to be in your rabbinical school is you need to talk about the Davidic king who's Jesus Christ. And it's like, and, and God raised up Israel to reveal himself in and through to impact the entire world in the Messiah of Israel. And Jesus, the king, the son, is coming back to Israel, epicenter Jerusalem. He's going to establish his kingdom. Can I hear another big amen to that? Well, let's break this down. Like, and I would say there's four components here at least. It's just like, what is love like? Here's component number one. And you have it in your notes. But when he says, for God so loved the world, what are we talking? Well, God loves and values every human being. Every human being. He values and loves every human being. And you know, Jesus calls for the provision and protection of the weak and most vulnerable 
amongst us as a demonstration of love for him. He says, if you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me, which is such a, man, I was so, oh, it hit me like in a monster way this week, thinking about that. That's Matthew 25 at the judgment. So it's like, whoa, like, so, you know, you, you talk about, hey, listen, what an honor to know Jesus and be a follower of Jesus, but man, we're called to embody a, a beautiful, incredible love, a God's love. So it's like, I mean, think about the most vulnerable. Children are the most vulnerable. I mean, the womb is so vulnerable, right? I mean, start there and just start working yourself, working your way up. It's like Jesus is saying, like, you know, I, I am calling you to provide. I'm calling you to protect the weak and vulnerable. You've done it to Lisa, these my brethren. You've done it unto me. And, and you don't have to agree with someone to love them. You don't have to compromise your convictions to love the reality is what love does is values the neighbor, values, loves them. Love loves for the sake of love. Love loves. That's what love does. God's love loves us enough not to leave us the way we are, of course. But love loves for the sake of love. Like I think Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John are on the temple and they see that man who, 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 who could, you know, needs healing and they first look upon him and they say, you know, silver and gold we don't have, but what I have, I give to you. Well, like, they gave him something. Like, they, they gave this guy their attention. That's love. I mean, listening to someone, that's love. Like, if my mom was here, my, oh, I love my mom so much. Beautiful, beautiful woman, like my precious wife. And, but she would say, oh, honey, to listen is to love she would say. She's such a great listener. You know what my problem is, you guys? I was the fourth child. I was loved extraordinarily. I just want to say, I was loved too much. That's my problem. Anyways, no, I'm sorry. Um, but, I mean, she was such, she's such a great listener. She still is. But that's love. Hey, here's component number two. God's love. It's not a sentiment. It's an action that is sacrificial, selfless, and others-oriented. Where do we get that? Well, he gave his only begotten son. So God's love is sacrificial, it's selfless, it's others-oriented. The Bible says we actually owe each other love. We owe each other as believers. It's like we need to give each other love. And as I mentioned, love loves for the sake of love. In other words, we're sacrificial, we take an interest in others, not as a means to an end. I don't do it to get something from this individual. I, I do it. It's an expression of my worship for God. That's what love does. Love values the individual. Love protects. Love, love, love covers the, the vulnerable. And love is sacrificial. It's not a sentiment. I don't have to feel like doing it. I, I, I do it anyway. So are you guys with me on this? It's like, that, that's, not, that's why I don't, I don't wait around for feelings. And if you notice... Just jump down to verse 14, you guys. I mean, here's some love and application. Look at verse 14. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Well, that's good. Okay, comfort the faint-hearted. Ah, oh, beautiful love. Uphold the weak. So good. Hey, be patient with all. Be patient with all. What's the antithesis of being patient? It's being reactive. 
You know, uh, let me ask you, has anything good in your life come from reactive anger? I mean, no. You know, the Bible says, love suffers long and is kind. It's like, that's a huge rescue. In other words, in interpersonal relationships, inevitably adversity and friction, and it's like when we're out of our comfort zone, or I'll speak for myself, my natural inclination is to react because I'm just uncomfortable. Like, I don't understand you, what's going on? So I just like, rather than to back up. Love retreats, we talk about this a lot. Love retreats in adversity rather than reacting. It retreats in patience and suffering. It then moves forward in mellowness and kindness. And it's between the retreat and the advance that's the greatest learning curve in our life. I'm convinced of it. We'll, t- we'll unpack it another time. But love is patient. It's long suffering. And when this takes place, the act of love actually rescues us. It rescues us from ourself, from being reactive or angry that just only polarizes relationships and grieves our own soul. So it rescues us from ourselves, and it brings a rescue to the receiver. How many of you are, how many, how many husbands are out there? Could you raise your hand just out of curiosity? Oh, man, it's wonderful to be to be married and have a bride. Thank God. Well, Scripture says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. Can I hear a big amen to that? Hey, here's component number three. God's love fights against breakdown, disintegration, and decay, both now and forever. He loves us Enough not to leave us the way we are. Where do we get that? Because he says whoever believes in him should not perish, should not break down. So look, love, love does warn of danger. I mean, love has the, has the courage to actually say, hey, listen, this is dangerous. This is not good for me. I mean, that's love. Love stands for righteousness. Stands for righteousness. Look, there, I just want to say this really quick. You know, there has been a shift I think this is the third week I've mentioned this, but I just want to say real quick. There's a shift uh, in San Marcos, in our school district, and I've been talking about this. You know, they actually embrace the new health framework that's really, really so grievous because you, you will be shocked about now what they're going to be teaching children. I mean, it's insane. From K to 3, I mentioned this, right? Gender fluidity, like the, your parents chose your gender. This is that they're, they're going to be, so, and it's already beginning in prepping, uh, prepping teachers. So, so in other words, the message to K through 3 is going to be, you know, your parents chose your gender, but it's actually something that you choose and ratify. So that's one thing. So, hey, um, that's insane, right? I mean, that's just insane. You talk about crazy confusion. How many of us went to school hearing that in kindergarten to third grade, right? I mean, I could go on and on. It's, it's really intense. Very explicit, ultimately sexually. I don't want to get into it right now. But I just, 
you know, we have an elementary school right next to us. And um, we've got, you know, so many. And actually, the school uses our parking lot in, at times. They'll use our parking lot. And I'm just thinking to myself, how many parents actually know what's going to be like piping hot in the next, like, six months of their kids' education? And my, 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 my concern, I'm going to go talk to the principals. I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't see him. At, I don't see him. She, she's a friend. But I just want to talk to her. I, wanna, I just want to feel a few things out because I just think it's loving your neighbor as yourself to do what you can to tell parents what their kids are going to be taught. So we're going to be a part of that. I just think it's in the name of love. So if you ever show up and there's like this, 20-foot by 20-foot billboard warning parents are like, whoa, what is this? It's like, you'll know what I'm talking about, okay? It's not going to be, it's actually, yeah. Okay, okay, I exaggerate. It's not 20 by 20, it's, it's, uh, no, no, it's actually, (laughs) anyways, we're working on it. It's actually going to be 10 feet by 6 feet. That's it, okay, but that's what we're going to do. But look. Here's, here's the thing. Um, you guys, we all know this, right? To make Jesus known. Listen up. Be courageous. To make Jesus known is actually love. Uh, and, I, and I've said this before, but look, humanity, it's, it's almost as if like humanity was in this, this wreckage and is brought in you know, to emergency ward. I, I've illustrated this way before. There'd be a priority to save the body. You want to make sure the brain is what you want to make sure, internal organs, the blood pressure and stuff. Okay, and that, there's a priority. Now, you got a broken leg sticking out and stuff. That's not really the priority. You want to save this life. Okay, you, I mean, you're gonna, we're going to cast the leg in a little bit, right? We're going to put bound, law matters. Law, you know, provides boundaries. It's like a cast that keeps things straight. Are you guys with me on that? Okay, okay, but the priority is, man, we got to work on the blood pressure. we got some issues internally. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's like you got wreckage out there. Make Jesus known. That is love. Soul winning is love. And it's like we need to embody love. We need to embody soul winning. So think of your neighbors. Be praying for them. Think of your family. A lot of people will respond to the gospel if only they were given the chance. Jesus said it himself, the harvest is plentiful. Hey, component number four, God's love is nourishing. It's healing. It's edifying. It's redemptive because he says, you shall not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. And notice he says, man, we got to put on a helmet. You know, it's graphic, but you know, if... There's an enemy and there's assassins. They're, they're aiming. They're aiming for the head. And we have a helmet of salvation. And this plan has been unfolding from eternity past to eternity future. It is sure as sure can be. And I just want to say this. Like, I just think like of a football helmet. You got these emblems. Of, on our, the helmet of salvation has a star of David on it. You say, what are you talking about? It's like Judaism. No, no, I'm not talking about Judaism. I'm talking about Jesus the King. And we're citizens of this kingdom that will never break down. So look, we want to make sure we have the helmet on firmly. Jesus said that he's building his church. He's really good at it. I actually believe there's an awakening in America of genuine followers of Jesus. I would say this. 
I, I don't even see how it's reasonable to say otherwise because Jesus is really good at building his church. So what you're going to see today, I'm convinced, is actually an awakening of genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Progress is being made. Let us not ever give up. Can we hear an amen to that? Never, ever give up. And this is a unique time, you guys. If you look back in history, great revivals always took place in very dark times, right? So this is a unique time. And I just want to end by saying this. Listen, you can put this helmet on. You know, you can put, sometimes when I'm watching football, I think, oh, look at that. Man, look at Notre Dame's helmet. It's cool. Oh, that's cool. Man, that's cool. SC, yeah, love it. You know, it's just, man, just think of it. You have, you're being offered a helmet to put on that gives you identity as a son, a daughter of the king, both now and forever. That your sins are forgiven. You're prepared to meet your maker. I mean, who wouldn't want to put this on? The Lord's not going to force himself on you. Like, he gives us a choice, seriously. It's like, there is a hell. It's like, no, oh, come on, there's a, no, there is a hell. And it was created for the devil and his angels. It was not intended for man. But here's the reality. Someone has to, in order to get there, someone has to climb over the Bible and disregard it. That's very tough to do. Someone has to climb over the personal work of Jesus. What, they weren't legit miracles? This is a Jewish movement. You're saying that, like, what, this was cooked in Jerusalem? Cooked up, just made up? I mean, no, just to actually climb over the evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, that, that's a steep climb. I mean, come on. You've got to climb over your conscience that accuses or excuses your actions. You've got to climb over your mom's prayers or your friend's prayers. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like in a lot of ways, it's really tough to go to hell. It's like you don't, you don't want to go there. I mean, can I hear an amen to that, right? It's like you don't want to go there. Listen, the Lord gives us a choice. Put the helmet on. Embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I'm going to tell you how you can do that in the next few moments. Let's, let's pray, you guys. Lord, I thank you for the most beautiful church family. I thank you for your work in our lives, Lord. It's such a blessing. I thank you you've positioned us here in such a time as this. I thank you for every person in this room, from the youngest to the eldest, every believer here. And I thank you for our dear friends, perhaps, that have yet to embrace you. I want to pray, give them wisdom now in these next few moments to make a right decision for you. And you say, Greg, what do you mean? You know, what, 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 what do I got to do to put the helmet on? Listen, number one, you need to admit you're a sinner, like we've all sinned. You say, I, I, don't, I don't like that idea. Well, the Bible identifies sin as crossing the line. That's one way the Bible identifies it. In other words, we've stepped, we, you know, think of a highway. We've stepped over the line, we sh we're not, now we're on ongoing traffic. Now we're in a place we shouldn't be. Or the, f or the fish who tries to uh, be a fisherman, gets out of the water of God's boundaries and suffers. It's like we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all broken the Ten Commandments, if not in deed, in thought, that reflects who we are because who we are really begins on the inside. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the core problem of our lives is a broken relationship with God. And please hear that. Like God loves you, but there's a brokenness that he wants restored. That's why he sent his son. 
He didn't send an economist. He didn't send a politician. He sent a savior. He, said, he came himself. And so I need, to, I need to say, okay, I need forgiveness. Greg Denham does. You do. We all do. We need the Lord. And this leads to the cross. As Jesus was beaten and bruised and 39 times, 40 perhaps, whipped with the cat of nine tails and, I mean, just brutalized. Hands and feet pinned to the cross. Um, and when he on that cross said, it is finished. Actually, it wasn't those nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for you. You know, it's like, when's the last time someone died for you? Jesus died for you, loves you. You could not be more safe than in the arms of Jesus Christ. So, and he resurrected. He's alive. He's coming again. And he stands at the door and knocks. And if anyone would hear his voice and open the door, he'll come in. And uh, I believe that that is taking place for some here this morning. In other words, there's knocking. He says, he's trying to get your attention. You say, okay, Greg, what do I need to do? Receive him, open the door. How do you do that? That's admit you're a sinner, recognize the cross and resurrection. And the Bible says those who call upon the Lord shall be saved. And I'd like to lead you right where you're seated. We're just having our eyes closed and stuff. We're just a private mind. I'd like to lead you in a word of prayer to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. And before we do, I just want to ask, if that's you, you're thinking, yeah, man, I want to leave here knowing my sins are forgiven. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven and be ready for the return of Jesus. And you want to pray to receive Christ. Raise up your hand right now. Raise up your hand. And by raising up your hand, God bless you, you're saying, yes, that's me. In the, in the sides, in the back, in the front, if you'd like to receive Christ, just slip up your hand if you have. God bless you. I see that. Anybody else? Slip it up high so I can see it. I'm, I, I'm not going to call you out. I'm just going to lead the congregation in a prayer in just a little bit. But it's important to respond, to put some legs to your faith. Anybody else? This final moment. You want to say, yeah, that's me. And I want to receive Christ. You raise up your hand. And um, I believe there was another. God bless you. Hey, listen, pray with me at this time. And church family, if you'd like to join, that's great. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I call upon you now to be my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying for me. Paying the debt of my sin. Resurrecting from the dead. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you're a great Savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me your child, both now and forever. Thank you for cleansing me. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for making me your child. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Woo! Love it.